look at two verses this morning, and we're going to get to these as we begin. Romans chapter 7, and then we'll look a little bit into Romans chapter 8 this morning. This week was a, a turning point for our family and maybe many families here. This was the week that junior camp took place. Junior camp. And uh, every time you have a child go to junior camp for the first time, it's a reminder that your spouse is getting older. You, <laughs> I may be getting older as well, but she is certainly getting older. Our kids are getting older. Everyone's getting older, and our kids are going off to junior camp, and uh, the kids came back so excited. I'm just glad they came back. You always kind of wonder. You know they're going to, but you always kind of wonder if they're going to make it back, right? Junior camp is an interesting thing. I, I remember going to camp as a, a child, and just the great memories that I have of camp, and all of the things I learned, and it's very exciting, but it's also kind of strange. Not teen camp, but junior camp. My children, my small children, I've got four, but the small ones are not allowed to go out in front of our house unless there's an adult or an older sibling present. We're that worried about them in our neighborhood. But we'll send eight to 12-year-old kids three hours into the desert with no expectation of hearing them for, for another week, and that's okay, right? They're being watched by counselors who are like 19 years old, so it's all good. We're just happy they make it home. They learn a lot of things at camp, but it's hard to prepare a child for camp. And if you've ever gone through that, you know what I'm talking about. You, you get all of their clothes packed, and, and you give them the money they need, and you try to help them understand the things that they're going to need to understand. And it's just hard, particularly when they're going for the first time. And, and uh, my daughter, daughter Molly was going for the first time. She was so excited. And I didn't know what to do, so I did what I normally do when I'm trying to help my kids. I preached a little sermon to them, which they always appreciate, and they're always very, very thankful for and so I started to talk to her about, about purpose <laughs> and identity and who she belongs to and what her last name is and what that represents and try to help her understand when she gets to camp, she needs to, every new decision that she makes, she needs to filter this through who she is and, and make us proud and make her last name proud. And she just looked at me like I was crazy. And so my wife jumped in and said, don't do anything stupid. She's like, oh, okay, see that I understand. Don't do anything stupid. It's hard to get kids prepared because they're going to make a lot of new decisions, things they've never been faced with before. They're now going to be faced with, and you want to help them navigate that, but it's hard because you can't deal with every situation, right? So what you do is you try to give them a filter through which they can run these decisions. For me, that filter for my daughter was her identity. You see, if she can remember who she is, then she'll have a better chance of making good decisions. But that's true, not just at junior camp. It's true, not just for children going out the door or experiencing new things. Identity, understanding your identity, understanding who you are, perhaps has more impact on your life, the way that you live, than any other single thing. The question this morning is, who am I? Who are you? If you had to answer the question, who am I? What is my identity? What is the, the thing through which I filter the decisions that I make? What would your answer be? Your identity should clarify new decisions. It should bring order to the chaos that's around us all of the time. Because identity is the stake in the ground against which all decisions should be measured. Identity is the stake in the ground against which all 
decisions should be measured. When you don't have the appropriate identity, when, you, when we don't know who we are, I, I wrote some things down, I want to read them. When we don't know who we are, some things happen. First of all, we begin to identify with things that can change. When we don't have the right identity, we begin to identify with things that can change. Things like jobs, income, children. Our kids, they're there, they grow up, they leave. We identify with these things that can change. Other relationships. And when we identify, when we get our identity from things that can change, then when they do change, and they will, we find ourselves in a crisis moment. We've all experienced that. When we don't know who we are, when we don't understand our identity, we allow voices who should have no say in our lives to drive us to do things for which we were not created. We talk to kids about peer pressure. In my ministry life, I've had more trouble (laughs) with adults dealing with peer pressure than children. Because if we don't know who we are, we allow the people around us to tell us what we should do. Because we don't have a stake to measure those decisions, we begin to compare ourselves to others and never find the peace and the joy that comes from fulfilling our created purpose. Why do we compare ourselves to others? Why do we look at what our neighbors have or what the person in the cubicle next to us has? Why do we compare ourselves to others? Well, because we don't know who we are. So we begin to look at who they are and then we lose our joy and our focus. We lose our purpose. Ultimately, we spend our lives chasing the next best thing and discover that there is always a next best thing. If we don't understand who we are, we drift through life accomplishing very little. I like to say it this way, a lack of identity is nothing more than practical atheism. (laughs) We were created by the God of the universe, and yet we move through life as though we are an evolutionary accident. Why? Because we don't know who we are. We say things like, I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to get to the next thing. Why? Because we don't have this stake in the ground against which all of our decisions can be measured. Practically speaking, even though we were created by God, we might as well have just been a happy accident trying to get from this end to the other. You see, identity is not about a vocation or a life partner or a relationship. It's not about something else that can change. It's about fundamentally understanding who we are. It's that stake in the ground against which every other decision should be measured. I want to talk about this for a few minutes this morning. And uh, I believe that identity or the lack of identity is one of the biggest problems we face as people on this planet. And it's something all of us deal with. Life changes, situations change, relationships change, things change, careers change. And if we don't know who we are at a very fundamental, a very basic level, we're not going to make it. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this matter of identity. We come to the book of Romans, and an incredible book, of course, written by the Apostle Paul, as most of you know. The Apostle Paul was a man who helps us to understand identity, I think, at a very core, a very fundamental level. 
The Apostle Paul, if we were to read back in the book of Acts about his early life, was not always a Christian, not always one who followed God. In fact, he was a persecutor of Christians. There is a phrase to describe him in Acts chapter 9. It says that he went about breathing out threatenings and slaughters. That's pretty harsh language, right? He hated Christians. He hated what they stood for. He was a very religious person. He was part of the Jewish hierarchy. But he hated Christ followers, and he did all that he could to persecute them. We don't know how many people the Apostle Paul then Saul was responsible for killing. History tells us he was responsible for more than 2,000 Christian deaths. Exactly what that looks like, I don't know. We know that he had letters that gave him the authority to tear families apart, to imprison people because of their beliefs, and he did it with great fervor. He was smart, he was talented, he hated God, and he used everything that he had to persecute those who believe in Christ. This is Paul, this is his past. He came to a point in his life, however, and I hope that you've come to the same point, where he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9 recounts this for us. It helps us to see that he came to a point in his life where he could no longer resist the conviction that he was feeling. Jesus, literally from heaven, spoke to to, to Paul face to face. He saw Paul. He asked Paul how he could continue to resist the conviction. He, He called it the pricks that he was kicking against. And in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul gave his life to Christ. He would become perhaps the most famous Christian missionary. Started churches around the world at that time. Wrote the book of Romans, that is, that great apologetic, that great defense of the gospel. He started off bad, but he turned good. Acts chapter 9 and verse 22 The Bible says, but Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. When he gave his life to Christ, he was on fire for Christ. He did all that he could now to encourage the cause of Christ to go and preach and teach the truth. He was the opposite of what he had once been. He started strong. Have you had a moment in your life where you understood your need of a Savior? If you have, you give your life to Christ and it changes everything. Your view, your outlook is different and now you have a different fire inside of you that causes you to do things you never thought possible before. But Paul was not just a man who started right in his Christian life. He was one that could not get beyond his past. We all have a past, don't we? 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul is speaking and he says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What's interesting about this is he doesn't say of whom I was chief. He said right now, today, I am the chief of sinners, Galatians 1.13, for ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Paul is preaching a message to the Galatians, and what does he say? There was a time in my life where I wasted the church of God, 1 Timothy 1.13, who was before, speaking of himself, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. Paul started in his Christian life well, but as he traveled the path pursuing God, there were times in his life where he stopped and looked back and said, how could I have done that? 
He came to a point in his life, you look here in Romans chapter 7, as he's talking about being yielded to the Holy Spirit of God, in verse 24, he says this, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> I picture the Apostle Paul as he's preaching a message. He's literally, literally writing this down to be communicated to the Christians in Rome. He's defending the gospel. He's talking about the grace of God. He's going into all of the things that we believe and that we hang on to. And as he's explaining this, he stops and in his mind he must think back to the past, what he did over there. And he stops and declares, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Have you ever been there? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, the most devoted Christian in the room would have to say, in a moment of honesty, there are times when I look around and I look inside and I look back there and I go, oh, wretched man that I am. The Apostle Paul was a man who in every way was extraordinary. And yet I believe in his life, just as in our lives, there were moments when he went, how can I continue on? I wonder if you ever asked the question, who am I? Who am I? He looked back at what he had done and he knew the good things and he knew the bad things and you know the good things and you know the bad things and you form an opinion about yourself. As he served as a Christian, as a missionary, planting churches and ministering to folks and writing so much of the New Testament, as he did all of these good things, he was persecuted by those who should have cared for him. He was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, he would eventually lose his life. And in all of it, I wonder if he looked around and said, who am I? Why am I doing this? As he came to the end of his life, I wonder if he was afraid of dying in obscurity. <laughs> we think of the Apostle Paul going before the leadership in Rome, declaring the gospel and losing his life. And I think as Christians, we think about this in, in almost a romantic fashion. We build it up as though he's declaring. But in a real sense, Paul was in prison for a long time. <laughs> Probably stood before a lesser magistrate and had his life taken with very little fanfare. I wonder if at a moment in time the Apostle Paul ever looked around and said, is this all worth it? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16, he declared to the Philippian church, hold forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Here's what Paul dealt with. He dealt with his past, the good and the bad, he knew himself. He dealt with how others treated him, the good and the bad. And at some point, he had to ask the question, am I making a real difference with my life? And as he's explaining this to us, he declares simply, oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> Your identity is that stake in the ground that allows you to filter all of the other decisions which you make, but if your identity isn't right, your decisions will also be wrong. We know that Paul went on, he did great things for God, and although he struggled in this area, perhaps, just as all of us do, he continued to make the right decisions and do the right things. He did it, because ultimately he knew who he was. Your identity 
is formed based on your belief in three areas, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You have an outline there. Your identity is formed based on your belief in three areas. The first one is this, your belief about yourself. Your identity is formed, first of all, based on your belief about yourself. The Apostle Paul, again, said, O wretched man that I am. He looked at himself as wretched. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Others may say it on the other end of the spectrum. O awesome man that I am. It's really hard to deal with all this. I get confused sometimes. I go back and forth on those two. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, I'm a dirtbag. Other times, I'm awesome. We all go through that, right? There are moments in time where we're like, I'm a dirtbag. This morning, I was getting ready to come to church, and I get up early before days like this, and I spilled grape juice on our carpet in our bedroom. My wife was sleeping. Right about now, she's figured out that I've done that. (laughs) Then on the way here in the car, I dumped coffee in my lap. This wasn't one of those days where I went, oh, awesome man that I am. But yesterday when I was thinking about this morning, I was definitely in the oh, awesome man that I am. We go back and forth, right? Why? Because we know ourselves. We know our thoughts. We know our past, even the things no one else knows about. And so based on our past and based on those thoughts and based on how we feel at this moment, we can come to some conclusion about ourselves, How we feel about ourselves is informed by a couple of things. Number one, our past. The good and the bad of our past helps to inform how we feel about ourselves. What is your past? Have you done good things or have you done bad things? Has it been a little bit of both? You'll look at yourself in that light, but second, your innermost thoughts. It's informed by your past, it's informed by your innermost thoughts, and again, if we're honest, our innermost thoughts are things that we'd like to stay innermost. Social media is a strange thing. I was talking to a friend about this the other day. Social media has, in in a, a large sense, for many people, taken those innermost thoughts that we don't want to share with anyone else and given them a platform to share them with everyone in the world. And often they feel bad about that and want to go back and change that. But there are innermost thoughts that need to stay on the innermost. (laughs) Things that we think about other people, things that we think about ourselves, things that we would never share with anyone else. And the problem is when we look at ourselves and we form an opinion about ourselves, we determine what our identity is, we often filter that through those thoughts that no one else knows about. It's informed by our past, it's informed by our innermost thoughts, it's informed by the others in our life. Man, this is a big one, isn't it? If you have children, you need to be careful right here. We can speak life or death into the hearts of our children by our words. We can encourage them to do better or discourage them. We can give them an identity that says, I am important and I am valuable, or we can tear it down so they go through life feeling like they're worthless. But this isn't true just of children. It's true of all of us. There are people in your life who encourage and there are people in your life who tear you down. And when you take the people in your life and you combine that with your innermost thoughts and then you mix it all together with your past, you can form an identity. And you look in the mirror and you see something that probably isn't real, 
but it's real to you. How you view yourself should be viewed in light of creation and salvation. Not your past, not the people around you, not even your innermost thoughts. How you view yourself, your personal identity, should be viewed from the standpoint of creation and salvation. You were created by God, and if that doesn't give you worth or value, there's nothing else that will. God, the creator of the universe, wanted so much to have a relationship with you that although he spoke everything else into being, when it came to mankind, he knelt down, he picked up the dirt, and he breathed from his own lungs the the, the air into the human being. That's how important you are to God. He wanted to have a relationship with you. We go to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. He's talking to the first man and woman. He comes down, we're told in Genesis chapter 3, every evening, and he walks with man in the garden. And then man and woman rebel against God. It was mostly the woman, but the man was there. This is how it always works. There's a rebellion that takes place. The relationship with God is broken, but God isn't done. God wants so badly to have a relationship with us that He did what only He could do. He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, from heaven to earth to die on your place and my place on the cross. To forgive our sins. Why? So that He could have a relationship with us. That's how valuable you are. And you can find your identity in your past, and you can find your identity in those innermost thoughts you don't want to share with anyone else. You can find your identity in the words of others, or you can find your identity in Christ, who gave himself for you. You didn't create yourself, and you didn't save yourself, but we were created and saved. Your identity is formed, first of all, by your belief about you, Secondly, this morning, it's formed by your belief about God. This order, you and God, was something I went back and forth about. My first and second points changed (laughs) several times. I think your belief about God will be inappropriate until you can finally settle on the fact that your belief about yourself should be in Him. What do you believe about God? I mean, really, what do you believe about God? The answer to that question largely determines what you believe about yourself. Because until your view of God is right, your view of self will not be right. Do you believe He is personal or impersonal? I mean, really, not what would you say in church, but what do you actually believe? Do you believe that God wants to have a personal relationship with you, as in, He cares about what you're going through right now, or is He a God that kicked everything off and just stands back and watches it happen? Is He personal or impersonal? What do you believe about God? Does He love us, or is He indifferent? Does He love you, or is He indifferent? Does He care for you, or does He not care? Does He care for you, or does He just step back and say, I hope they do okay? What do you believe about God? Is he in control? Or is he not? Does he have a plan? Or does he not? Your belief about God will in a large part define whether or not you believe well of yourself. Your identity is formed when you see God correctly. 
Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God in verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who not, walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Paul said, I am a wretched man. I am broken. I have a past that was persecuting Christians. I've done some good things. I've done some bad things. I know who I am on the inside, though, and it's not good. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus. Because it's not about me. It's all about him. What do you believe about yourself? What do you then believe about God? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul, the same author here, put it this way, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, they're passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What was back there? The thoughts that I have in here, the people that are surrounding me, those things are old things. And in Christ, all things have become new. I can view myself right when I view God right. A pastor friend of mine said it this way. I love this quote. He said, a lot of people live their entire lives trying to find out who they are without finding who Jesus is first. You find out who Jesus is, he will let you know who you are. What do you believe about God? Your belief about God is informed by the Bible, his word. If you're not reading it, you're going to draw the wrong conclusion. It's informed by the Bible, it's informed by the lives of others. As we see his working in the lives of others, we come to so many passages in Scripture where we see God do amazing work in the life of others, and we can't help but conclude that he is personal, that he does care, that he loves us. He demonstrated that through his son, Jesus Christ, that he has a plan, that he's in control, that he is God and I am not, as we look at the lives of others. We know he's God We form an opinion about him because of his working in our own lives. Life is hard. It's hard. But when we understand that it's not about us, it's about him, we can step back and see the many, many, many times that he worked for his purposes in our lives. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about God? Number three, Your identity is formed based on your belief about your purpose. Your belief about your purpose. We could spend a long time here. Purpose is not a job. It's not a relationship. It's not something else temporal. Those are things that we do. But we often say, my purpose is to do this. Purpose is the reason that we do the things we do. It's not the things we do, it's the reason we do the things that we do. It's our purpose. It's the thing that clarifies our decisions and allows us to dream in the arena of our gifts. Our purpose allows us to leverage the gifts that God has given to us for His purpose. It sets the parameters on our gifts and talents so that they can be used in concert with our purpose and not against it. It's not about me. 
My purpose is found when I understand that I'm wrapped up in Him. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, the Apostle Paul, who's written so much of what we've looked at this morning, he declared his purpose this way, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Here's what Paul said. It's not about me. My purpose is to testify who Jesus is, to help others understand how they can come into a relationship with him. And he used his gifts, and he used his talents, and he used his opportunities to leverage those things. But Paul didn't say, my purpose is to do this, or my purpose is to do that. He said, my purpose, my life goal, my life ambition is to tell others about Jesus because it wasn't about him. Your identity is wrapped up in your belief about self, your belief about God, and your belief about your purpose. When relationships change, if your purpose is to glorify God, that purpose does not change so many conversations with so many people and they'll say, I lost my job, I've lost my purpose. Your purpose should not have been wrapped up in your job. My kids have left the house, I no longer have a purpose. Your purpose shouldn't have been wrapped up in your children. This situation in my life has changed. I no longer understand my purpose. When your purpose is wrapped up and declaring the goodness of God to others, your situation may change, but your purpose never changes. Your purpose informs your job, what you're willing to do, your relationships. It informs everything. Why do you do the things that you do? Well, because of the conclusion you've come to about yourself, the conclusion you've come to about God, and the conclusion that you've come to about your purpose, these things form your identity. The question before us is, who am I? question that we have to deal with again and again throughout our lives. The answer to that question will have perhaps the most profound impact on how we live. The organization that I work for, we've had about 2,000 folks come through our programs. We deal with combat trauma issues and we deal with um, you know, post-traumatic stress and those kind of things. Trauma destroys families, it destroys relationships, it destroys individuals. I've seen it again and again and again and again. And trauma is not reserved for veterans. Trauma is a life issue. We all have experienced trauma. Just being born is traumatic, right? And it just gets more traumatic from there on out. Trauma is part of life. But it's been my experience dealing with nearly 2,000 folks who have come through our program and tens of thousands outside of our program that we've talked to in in various venues that much of what we define as post-traumatic stress, a lot of what we talk about as the consequence of trauma, really it's nothing more than a simple lack of identity. Since an individual doesn't know who they are when things change, or things get really bad, they lose themselves further. It's identity. We gain identity because of past or a lack of value or a failure to measure up in some way and it destroys us. 
It destroys our relationship with God. Why? Because I could never be good enough for God. I've done this over here and I have these thoughts in here. I could never be good enough for God because it's a false sense of identity. It destroys our relationship with others because we feel no value. The good news is this. You may come to your those times in your life where you, like the Apostle Paul, step back and say, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You look at where you've been and what you've done and what you've been a part of. And you say, there's no way that I can go forward. I'm a wretched man. But oh, wretched man that I am is only a dark statement if it's not followed up with there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a truth. But thanks be to God, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in Christ Jesus today? Have you put your faith in him? Have you understood your brokenness, your need of a savior, and the fact that he died on your behalf to provide salvation and a relationship with him? Are you in Christ today? If you're in Christ today, then you are not broken. You are not valueless. You are not without purpose. Your identity is child of the living God. And there is no higher calling than that. Our identity is the stake in the ground against which all of our decisions should be measured. So stop looking at your past and stop looking at your shortcomings and stop looking at others. And when the question is asked, who am I? Answer boldly, I am a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new for I am the child of God. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we can, if we will, find our identity in you. Lord, you know my heart this morning. This is a very, very, very simple message. But I believe there are people in this room right now who are struggling with their identity.